friends and neighbors and brethren and our guests, we have good news this morning. The good news is that God stepped into human history in fleshly form, lived a sinless life, spoke words that man had never uttered before, worked miracles, and lived a life such as never been seen. And they put him to death upon a cross, buried him, but the tomb couldn't hold him. The tomb is still empty. He was raised on the third day, and he lives forevermore, never to die again. He sits at God's right hand. We have good news this morning. He died for our sins, and he did that out of his great love for us. Good morning. Good to see everybody here, and I look forward to spending a few minutes here with you this morning in our study. Uh, we're going to talk about giving, and I rejoice to be able to talk about that with you. It is a pleasurable, it is a wonderful thing to talk about, because when you talk about giving, you're talking about what? Gospel. That is the essence of the gospel. And we're going to be talking from the verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. Now, 2 Corinthians has three major divisions in it. Chapters 1 through 7 are where Paul talks about in various ways, but the essence is the glory of the gospel. In chapters 8 and 9, that's the second major section, he talks about the collection for the saints, the poor saints in Jerusalem, Judea. And then the third section, he talks about his apostolic authority. So we're going to be spending some time on 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. You know, God is the initiator, the originator. He is the the one who reached out to mankind. You know, that makes Jesus, that makes God unique because God initiates and reached out to mankind to save him. Uh, other religions are groping and trying to reach out and grab onto God in one way or another through their own wisdom, through their own ideas and techniques. But the gospel is the story of God initiating contact. He wanting to save mankind from sin. I'm going to read some verses here. I'm not going to give the citations of them because I'm going to read them quickly. And I want you to notice the common uh, theme in these. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have eternal life. What? God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. Where did that come from? I know where you came from. That, you know John 3.16. That's, that's right. The golden text of the Bible, it's sometimes called. Also, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now he that wrought for us this very thing is God who gave unto us the earnest of his spirit. But all things are of God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave unto us the ministry of reconciliation. 
who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present evil world according to the will of our God and Father. You notice all of these have this essence, this, this theme, how God has given. He's a giver. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me and that life which I now live in the flesh. I live in faith, the faith which is in the Son of God, who loved me and what? Gave himself up for me. And walk in love even as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for an odor of a sweet smell. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. And the witness is this, that God gave unto us eternal life and this life is in his son. So those are just a sampling of places in the New Testament where it talks about God giving. I know you recognize all of them. You may not be able to cite chapter and verse, but you know that they come from scripture and you know that they tell us of the giving nature of God. So we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about giving. And we're talking about a, an interesting story that takes place in Paul's day when he writes to the Corinthians, the church at Corinth, in his second letter to the Corinthians. You know, we're workers together with God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, which is really kind of a sidelight, but we're workers together with God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, and it tells me, it, I'm reminded of the story of the, the, the daddy who was a farmer, and he goes up into the tractor and he sits in the seat of the tractor and his little boy says, Daddy, can I work with you today? And he says, sure, son. And the son comes up and sits on his lap and the, son, the father starts to drive the tractor and they are working together in the farming of that field, in the, in the plowing of that field. Who's doing the driving? The father is. But he includes his son. And that's what God does with us. He lets us sit on his lap, in a sense, in a, in a manner of speaking, in the work he has to do as he's driving the tractor and we're sitting on his lap. He wants us to be there and know that we're part of the work. And when you're talking about giving, as we're talking about today, uh, that's how God helps to involve us in this great work. How personal Paul is to the Corinthians how personal this is to us. It's not theory. This is very relevant to our lives, the connection. You and others, you and others. You're not, we don't live isolated lives. We are connected to each other. We're connected to each other in Christ, if we're in Christ. But we also have a connection to mankind in the sense that uh, we, we meet needs. We look out to see what needs are out there, and we want to help to meet those needs. So Paul says, you're. And I want you to notice as we go through these verses in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, the number of times, just make a note in your mind, the number of times he says, you're. He talks about your love, your zeal, your generosity, and your righteousness. He says that to the Corinthians of all people. You know, the Corinthians, he's saying, 
you have love, you have zeal, you have generosity, and you have righteousness. Uh, and if you know anything about the church of Corinth, you know that there were, there were issues, there were problems there in that congregation. But Paul, in his great way, knew exactly how to speak to those brethren and to us to encourage us in the grace of giving. So number one, your love. Your love. I want to read uh, again the verses that were already read, but not all of them, but I want to specify the verses in chapter 8, verses 7, 8, and 24. 7, 8, and 24. He says, But just as you abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in the love which we inspired in you, see that you abound in this great, gracious work also. And then verse 8, I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. So he talks about the love of the Corinthians. If you look in verse 24 of chapter 8, he says, Therefore openly before the churches show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. What inspires this? What brings this about? What brought about this love that the Corinthians had? It was because of God's graciousness. Did you notice the, the times that the word give or gave was in our bulletin right there on the songs uh, that uh, were led by Ryan? We see, we sing about God giving. And that's because he's gracious, and that inspires us to be gracious toward others, to be giving uh, to, to the great worthy needs of the gospel proclamation, of the expansion of the kingdom. God's grace inspired it. How? What Jesus did to make them rich. In chapter 8 and verse 9, it says that great statement which this would be a good memory verse, would it not? Uh, chapter 8 and verse 9, for, for you know, now I, I'm assuming he says, you know that the Corinthians knew this. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, what's he talking about? What kind of richness is he talking about? He's not talking about financial riches of the Corinthians, although there's an indication there that some of the Corinthians uh, were somewhat well-to-do. But what he's talking about are the spiritual riches that Jesus gives to us, and he went through poverty so that we might be made spiritually rich. In what ways? Saved from sin redeemed from sin, forgiven of sin, cleansed from sin, good conscience, having a hope. God reaches out. He gives to us these things through his son who was made poor, who was poor himself, and he went through that that we might become rich through his poverty. The openness of their love, the Corinthians' love, proves that this is a fact for their lives. 
It's really remarkable, and, I, and this is not really talked about in the text, but I want to give you a little bit of background here uh, behind what the significance of what Paul is talking about. Here were the Gentiles going to send a gift to the poor, suffering Jews in Jerusalem and the Judean area. They had suffered a famine there. Now, do you know how significant and how unusual it would have been for Gentiles to get together to send a gift to the Jews? I don't know if you know it, but the, the, the hostility between Jew and Gentile in the first century was very significant. We see evidences of that kind of hostility between groups of people today. And what was happening is the Gentiles hated the Jews, the Jews looked down their noses at the Gentiles as inferior. And here Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, the Macedonians and you, there's going to be a gift brought to Jerusalem to relieve the suffering, because there had been a famine, the suffering of the poor Christian Jews that were in that area. This is really significant. This is really a powerful thing. What brings down the walls between people? Jesus is the one who can bring down walls between people. He does what no one else can do. Politics can't do it. Uh, songs can't do it. Uh, movements can't do it. Changes in heart, that's what does it. And the love of the Corinthians, who Paul is reminding them of a promise that they had made, maybe as close as the year previous, that they would give this kind of gift. I want to read from what Paul said to the Ephesians uh, as a kind of a, an illustration of what we're talking about here. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and following, Paul is talking to the Ephesian Christians about how this wall, this barrier between Jew and Gentile had been knocked down because of what Jesus had done upon his cross and upon the uh, empty tomb. He says, therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a pretty bleak picture of the Ephesians, of Gentiles in general. And he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So Christ is our peace. He's the one that makes peace between Jew and Gentile. This is what he's saying. This is what Paul is saying to the Ephesian church to the Christians there, but the principle, the truth of that applies in every circumstance. He says, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man. He takes the Jew and the Gentile, and because of Jesus and what he has done, he brings those two together and he makes one body out of them. That's what Jesus does, his, his death, his burial, 
and his resurrection. Because everybody stands equal on level ground before the cross. Everybody is equally needy, Jew and Gentile. So going back to the Corinthian letter, the remarkable thing about this is that here were Gentiles, and they were wanting, they were begging, they were sacrificing, saying, I want to give a gift, a financial gift, to these Jews, these Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, because of love for them. And the same kind of thing can take place in us. You know, we, we, we don't look at barriers we want to reach out, and because of Jesus, change the circumstances, do we not? That's what we want to do. So Jesus is the answer to these barriers. Secondly, he talks about your zeal. Look in uh, 2 Corinthians again, chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 2. I'll read verses 1 and 2. He says, for it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely, that Achaia had been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Okay? Now, if you look on a map, you will see what we call Greece today. The northern part was then Macedonia. The southern part was Achaia. They basically all comprise what we would call Greece. In the southern part, in Achaia, you had the cities of Corinth and Athens. And in the northern part, you had Philippi, you had Thessalonica, and so forth. There were poor saints there in the northern part, in Macedonia, who were begging, who were, who were wanting to somehow give a gift, a financial gift, to send to the poor Jewish Christians that were in Jerusalem. And so he talks about, to the Corinthians, Paul talks about their zeal. He says, your zeal, um, it affects others. The Macedonians had heard of the great bragging on what the Corinthians would do. Here's what had happened. The Corinthians had said, we're going to give a gift also. But for whatever reason, and we may not really know the reason behind it, there had been a delay in the fulfilling of their promise. In other words, they had told Paul, yes, we're going to give a gift, and then maybe up to a year had passed, and they had not yet given the gift. And so Paul is writing to them to remind them. He says, remember, you made a promise back there that you are going to do it, and when the Macedonians heard you were going to give a gift, it spurred them on, it stirred them up, it gave them motivation and energy to want to be generous in giving also. In other words, I'm, I bragged about you Corinthians, I bragged about you, now fulfill what you were going to be doing because the Macedonians are giving a great gift themselves. Um, the zeal that they had, the readiness that they had, it teaches others, it affects others, and it teaches others. The Macedonians have done a remarkable thing, and they are bragged on. So here's what's happened. There's been a two-directional two bragging. Paul has bragged to the Macedonians about what the Corinthians are going to do, and now he then tells the Corinthians, he says, you ought to see what the Macedonians are doing. 
Turn back with me in chapter 8, verses 1 and following. Brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep, not just their poverty, their deep poverty, overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. You know, if you, if you can give according to your ability and then you give beyond your ability, who gives you your beyond ability? Who's the only one that can do that? God. So they, they were willing to give to their ability, but they then wanted to go even further than what they were able to do. And the only one that gets the credit for that is God, is the Lord Jesus. So he says that, I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. And he says they were begging us. Here were the Macedonians saying, Paul, we want you to take this gift. And Paul says, that's too much. You can't afford it. And they said, no, we want you to take this gift to these poor Jewish Christians because of the famine that they're suffering in, in Jerusalem. So they, they basically twisted Paul's arm and they essentially made him take what he thought they couldn't afford. That's how generous they were. So he's, they're begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. And that is the secret. Verse 5 tells us the secret. How were they able to do this? They gave of themselves to the Lord. And when you do that, everything is possible. Is it not? Because God can multiply our efforts. He can multiply our small efforts and do things with our efforts beyond what we would even imagine. Jesus said, and I'm going to read from what the Lord said. This is a picture of Judgment Day, um, and it, it's a reminder of the things that Jesus will say, what he will do there at Judgment. In Matthew chapter 25, 31 and following, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as, shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger, and invite you in, or naked, and clothe you? And when... And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the, these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. 
Then he will say also to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did, and not, you did not invite me in naked, and you did not clothe me sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and you did and did not take care of you, then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So zeal must go beyond simply words. It has to be manifested in action. It has to be a fulfilling of the promise, which is what Paul is doing with the Corinthians, reminding them of that. Number three, your generosity. He talks in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. And again, I call attention to the fact that he keeps telling them of your love, your zeal, and your uh, uh, generosity. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead of you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, that the same might be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. God made that promise uh, fulfilling. Uh, he was able to fulfill that. They were able to fulfill that through God's power. He wanted them to have hands that were open and releasing to the needs of others. And he understands what we, Corinthians, and look at verse 12. And this is an important point he makes. He says, for if the readiness is acceptable according to what a man has, is a good, simple explanation of what Paul says in verse 12. Those who are poor small amount are not to be deprived of the grace of giving and the subsequent enrichment which comes from... God does not judge a gift according to size, but according to... Widow comes with two pennies. And as Jesus is watching what's going on, he says, that widow gave more than all the rest. Because they gave out of their abundance, and she gave out of her want and her need. So Jesus notices those things. He wants willing hearts, not twisted arms. He doesn't want to force us. He wants us to have love and zeal and generosity that stems from an understanding of his grace and his goodness and his giving to us. And then finally, fourth point, your righteousness. Chapter 9 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He implies there a planting because you can't have a harvest unless there's been a planting. So what has been planted? The righteousness and what has been harvested is righteousness. So the four points we see here is their love, 
the Corinthians' love, their zeal, their generosity, and their righteousness. We have a garden here. We have a garden. And it's bearing beautiful fruit. When loving, zealous, and generous Christians give, it is a righteous thing. It is a righteous thing. And that's what Paul tells us in these verses. So what have we, what have we looked at here? We've looked at the love. He says, your love to the Corinthians. He says, your zeal, your generosity, and your righteousness. We are wonderfully tied to one another. You and others, we and others, I and others, you and others, and how we can affect history. We can affect other people's lives and uh, the coming days, weeks, months, and years. Your makes it personal. You may be wondering how these truths can be active in your life. It could be that you're not a Christian. You may not be sure you're a Christian. You may not know really what's involved in becoming a Christian. Maybe you want these principles, these truths that Paul has talked about to be active in your life. Maybe you've thought about this and you've thought about Jesus. And let me share with you a couple of things to consider I would encourage you, I would ask you, I would ask you to look into yourself. Have you done what the Bible says to be saved from sin, to be, become a Christian, to be added to the body of Christ, where death holds no dread? Believe in Jesus with all of your heart. Hold the conviction in your heart that Jesus is God's one and only Son his unique son that God gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Repent of your sins. Be sorry for your past sins and make the determination, make the decision to turn away from sin to the best of your ability and Live a life that's different from what it has been in the past. Be sorry for your past sin and live anew in a future uh, of your life. And be immersed in water for the remission of sins. To be united with Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. To be washed, forgiven, and cleansed. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes... Believes what? Believes the gospel. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be condemned. And then I want to read what Jesus says to Nicodemus. And this is very important in what Jesus says to Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, 3, 4, and 5. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except we one be born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says to him, How could a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except one be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The definition of being born again is to be born of water and the Spirit. That's the definition. They are equal to each other. 
The first statement is a generic statement. The second one is more specific, where he says, you want to be born again? You must be born of water and of the Spirit. John chapter 3 and verse 5. And then Peter said on Pentecost, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ unto the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God is the original giver. He has taught us to give. And he's used, through Paul, he gives us this wonderful story of the Macedonians, the Achaeans, the Corinthians, and the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, and how the gap that would have existed was now no longer there where they wanted to sacrifice for each other. If you're subject to the invitation, we invite you to become a part of the body of Christ, to be saved from your sin, to be washed and cleansed by the blood of Christ as you contact the blood of Christ in the waters of baptism as you believe in Jesus. Won't you come now while we stand and sing? We encourage you to do what he says.